0: The Letter That Changed the World. This is the biblical theology of Romans, part 43. Tonight we're looking at God's gift distribution program. God's gift distribution program, Romans 12, 6, 7, and 8. Three verses. And when you're looking at three verses, now you'll see why it's taken 43 weeks to get here. 12, 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Do you notice the difference between having them and using them? I think we're supposed to see that contrast. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Gifts can go unused. It's it's like, you know, you can be, uh, I'm trying to pick on something that I don't, know if anybody does. You can you can be a distributor for Amway and you can have your garage full of product, but not getting them out. That happens by the way from what I hear. But not getting it out, getting it out to the people. Having and using are two totally different things. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Having gifts is the result of grace. It's God. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, the Holy Spirit distributes gifts. He gives the gifts, but He doesn't use them for you. So so you get this divine human thing. Gifts are the result of grace. It's a divine gift. Using them is entirely human. You don't have to use a gift just because God gave it to you. Gifts can sit on the shelf and go bad. Gifts are... Worse than that, gifts can be self-destructive in a church. I mean, Paul sets this in the context. It's it's not accidental that he starts talking about gifts right after he said in verse 3, let's not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. So grace gifts are most fruitful and most effective when they function in a community that is humble and connected in love to each other. Otherwise, gifts can be destructive things. More than a few churches have been fractured in the charismatic movement, fractured and splintered by people who compete for a spiritual voice, forgetting that gifts aren't owned, they aren't given out as a result of spiritual merit, they're grace gifts that God gives. And for all those reasons, Paul sets this explanation of the gifts in the context of the local church. I will never forget um, Most, how many of you were still around when we weren't in this building yet and we were meeting in Trinity United downtown? Let me see your hand. Yeah, see, not a lot, but when we were switching between our old building and this building, this was being, we rented on Sundays Trinity United on Main Street. It was, a, it was a lot of work, and it was a different experience, and it was a Sunday night, and I had spoken, and, and people were kind of gathered. It was different, of course, than this around the front of the church, and we were kind of worshiping and praying, and a gentleman came up. I hadn't seen him, and he had a piece of paper in his hand, and he said, hi, I, I have, a, he saw my mic, and he said, I have a word of prophecy for your church, and it's the way he said for your church. And I and I said, I don't, I mean, I don't know everybody all the time, but I don't think I've ever seen you. Do you go to this church? I meant Cedarview. And he said, no, no, I don't. I said, what church do you go to? He says, well, the the Spirit I, leads me to different congregations, and and uh, I use my gift of prophecy. Can I? So can I share this with your church? And I said, well, no, you can't. Because nobody in this church knows who you are. They don't know whether you're credible, whether you're just off the wall, whether you say different things in different churches. Or, and he really was miffed, and he just got up and just kind of stormed out the door and went. That's the kind of thing that can happen when spiritual gifts aren't used humbly and connected with a local body of believers, where people know each other, love each other, serve each other. That's important because there are some teachers in the church who can do nothing but wail and moan about the risks and the dangers arising from the abuse of spiritual gifts. I remember hearing John MacArthur talk about that. I was sitting in his church, and he was talking about the risk, the the charismatic movement, and the risk of, of false prophets and the danger they can do to a church, and it's true. Undeniably true. But that's true of any of the gifts. I mean, John MacArthur is a great teacher. He's on the radio. And... But just about the whole Old Test- the New Testament is written warning of the dangers, especially once you get past Romans. Every letter is written about the dangers of false teaching. So, so should we not have teachers in the church? Because there's certainly the danger of false teachers, right? Maybe we shouldn't allow that gift to be exercised in the church. And we all know, well, that's just crazy. The answer to false teaching is correct teaching. And the answer to false prophetic gifts is a scriptural, biblical sound use of spiritual gifts. And so that's the subject that Paul addresses in this context. Let's look at some of these things. Point number one. What do these gifts look like? How does this work? I'm going to look at three. The gift of prophecy, 12.6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. Let's just start with, I mean, I I know Sunday night we always have lots of visitors, people from other churches, other denominations, welcome. What do we mean when we talk about that word prophecy? The gift of prophecy prophecy. So not prophecy in the sense of end time events. Not that prophecy. But the gift of prophecy exercised in the church. Well, depending on your denominational background, your theological background, there's a different grid the way people see that gift. In the line of of Luther and Calvin, prophecy is really, it's nothing more than the preaching and the teaching of the Word in the early church. Because preaching in the early church, especially in Paul's day, would be based almost exclusively on the Old Testament. The Old Testament was written by God's anointed prophets. Preaching is a prophetic event in that sense. I don't think that's what the gift of prophecy is. And there are a lot of people, even in the classical reformed tradition, who see something more than that. Paul's reference to the gift of prophecy in Romans 12 is is more than just preaching. I was really uh, pleasantly surprised. I don't expect, you know, everybody else to be interested in this, but I I was reading uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones on Romans chapter 12. Quite surprised to hear him say, quote, is this in your notes? Oh, okay. Let me tell you what prophecy does not mean. It does not merely mean that a man has a gift of expounding the Old Testament prophecies. There have been many people who have taught that. They say prophecy means the gift and capacity to expound the writings of the prophets. Well, then what is the gift of prophecy? Well, I would define it as a direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What for? Its purpose is to give a word from God or the word of God, to the church. That is the content of prophecy. It has been defined like this, and I rather feel it is a good definition. Prophecy is the inspired delivery of warning, exhortation, instruction, and making manifest the secrets of men's heart. He gets that from the Apostle Paul. Someone who makes a prophecy has been given this gift of passing on, as it were, a word of God to the church with maybe a few modifications, that makes sense to me. And it's nice to hear a guy like Martin Lloyd-Jones say that. I think it fits the context of the gift of prophecy in the church. It fits more with Paul's extensive teaching on the subject in 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, the gift of prophecy is also in different parts of the New Testament called a word of prophecy. I take that to mean it's something brief. It's, it's a word. It's not a lecture. It's immediate, so it's given for that local group, that specific situation, not universal. And it's given, not prepared, like a sermon or a teaching. I think all of those things are what make prophecy different from the gift of teaching, which Paul will mention in just a minute. The gift of teaching centers on an exposition, an explanation of the teaching of God's Word, the revelation of the scriptures, the timeless revelation of the scriptures. And so the teacher works with all the content that's already given in the text. The truth the teacher expounds, it's for all Christians at all times, in all places. I might have application refer to something like I did that story about Trinity United. There might be application to a specific church, but this teaching would be true if I was speaking here or in China or in Hong Kong or in Africa. It would make no difference because it's the truth of God's word that we're talking about. Gift of prophecy isn't like that. Gift of prophecy is someone speaking and applying a biblical truth to a local body of believers here at Cedarview Community Church. So we don't take prophecies, write them down, and apply it to the body of Christ all over North America. That's not what prophecy is. That's what makes the gift of teaching the normative or controlling revelation for the church. Prophecies aren't a final revelation. Paul says prophecies are to be sifted and to be discerned by the rest of the body. 1 Corinthians 14, 29. But how? How are they to be measured? How are they to be discerned? What's the standard? Well, they're to be measured by the systematic teaching of the Scriptures. All of that is why when, when Paul comes to delineating the gifts required by pastors in a local church, he says they must, they must be teachers. 1 Timothy 3, 1-2 The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, same word for pastor, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. They don't have to be prophets. They must be teachers who equip the body to measure all prophecies, true and false. But the emphasis in Romans 12 that Paul brings out is the usefulness of prophecy in the church. It's one of the reasons why God fits people into the church to accomplish the renewal of their minds. God can speak into our lives through others in the body. True enough, prophecies aren't infallible. They must be measured. They must be assessed. But they're useful. He says so. The other thing, here's another important point, prophecies don't just happen. I, I think if there's anything that I think is a popular misconception with all of the sort of Audible gifts in the church uh, prophecy tongues and interpretation word of knowledge that kind of thing I think people have the idea that someone's just sitting in a worship service and and it's and some kind of holy seizure Comes upon them. It's kind of like a womp in the gut and they just can't help it And they 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 have to speak and it's not like that And when you see gifts exercised like that, I assume the person is sincere and genuine They probably just haven't been taught But when you hear any kind of a public gift in a church that makes you want to pull your feet up and look under the chair, that's not the way the Holy Spirit works. It doesn't have to be some stark, machine gun-like, boisterous gift. Not any of the gifts, and especially the gift of prophecy that Paul says we should strive for. Paul says, Prophesy in proportion to your faith. 12.6. That means people people don't prophesy necessarily easily. People have to exercise the prophetic gift. God doesn't prophesy for people. People must pray, think, present their minds as available. It takes a measure of faith, he said. It takes a measure of faith to step out and prophesy. Something else. This isn't in your notes. Prophecy isn't dictation. When someone gives a word of prophecy and they start off with, Yea, my people, thus saith the Lord thy God. King James English and God speaking directly. I think what is happening, I'm not saying that that's not the gift of prophecy. What I'm saying is they are exercising that gift conditioned by the way they've seen it done elsewhere. They don't have to do that. I think a better way to word a prophecy is to make it clear to everyone in the room that these are your words and you're expressing what you think God is saying to you. It doesn't happen like often, often, but every once in a while, um, you've probably heard me give what I think is a gift of prophecy and you didn't leave the church thinking it was. In other words, I I would choose to prophesy like this. If I felt the Lord was speaking to my heart and we were at the close of the service, instead of saying, uh, I'm not poking fun. I just don't know how else to show you what I mean. Okay? Y'all understand that? I, I'm, but someone could say, uh, Yea, my people, the Lord thy God would speak and say, Be not afraid. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You could do that. And if I were uh, feeling God speaking to me, I would probably say something like this. You know, I really think that the Lord would want us to understand that one of the things that keeps us from receiving from his hand isn't necessarily sin, but even just a fearful heart. What's he going to do with my heart if I yield it to him? See, I would word it like that, but I would make it clear that I wasn't planning on saying that. This is something I think God dropped into my mind, and I would speak it to the church. That is how I think the gift of prophecy works. It's not dictation from God. It's me speaking according to my faith what I think God would like to say to the body of Christ through me. And I would submit that. Someone else would say, you know, that's nice, Pastor Don, but it really doesn't line up with what the scripture says right here. And I'd have to be tender enough to say, well, I thought, but you know, you discern, measure. In fact, lots of times when a situation like that comes up, I think you've heard me say it a couple of times. I'll say, I think the Lord is speaking to me. You be the judge. I'll say that. Whereas if I'm teaching from Romans 12, I'm never going to say, you know, you be the judge whether this is God's word. It just is. And if none of us like it, it still is. Because it's God's word. That's a different base. Did I make that clear, that rambling that I did there? All right. So there are boundaries to prophecy, the gift of prophecy. Yes. We don't don't exercise it perfectly. The phrase that we pull out of 1 Corinthians 13 very rarely and consider is the way he says, for we prophesy in part. We we do the best we can. We fallible creatures with what God speaks. But Paul says it's worth it. It's worth it. Don't shun the gift just because of weakness. Don't shun the gift just because of abuse. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Exercise it according to your faith. Two. I took too long on that. The, the gift of serving. First part of verse 6, first part of verse 7. I'm teaming them up together. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if service, in our serving. I think it's interesting and probably intentional that Paul places serving right between prophesying and teaching. Because most of us, we kind of see... Uh, The divine aspect of prophecy and teaching. That serving. (laughs) Disinfecting toys in the nursery so they'll be clean for next Sunday. I mean, surely Paul doesn't mean to put that into the list with prophecy and teaching. And I think that's why he puts it where he puts it. Acts 6, 1 to 7. This is the first mention of deacons in the scripture, right here. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So the Jewish widows were getting preferential treatment. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen. He's going to be martyred. He's going to be killed very shortly. A man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles. They prayed, laid their hands on them. And then, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, so we know Stephen, we know about Philip, but who in the world are Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas? Nicholas. And yet, when you look at what happened in verse 7, the word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly. Why did the word of God increase? Why was there such a revival and a fruitful response? Was it because of the disciples praying and preaching? Yeah. But also, you can't quite tell in the end, can you? Who gets credit for the revival? Maybe it was those servants. Nobody knows what happened to them, but they were serving so that other things happened and that's exactly how it should be in the local church. All the gifts matter. They're all important. They don't have the same prominence, but they all have the same importance. Those are two totally different things. Gift of teaching. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them the one who teaches in his teaching we're almost done i like the way paul reminds us that these gifts are different from each other having gifts that differ differ it's, it's like he knows our tendency to mimic or to copy or to measure by someone else they they differ teaching teaching's different from prophecy saw that earlier tonight i won't go over it again it becomes obvious if you study some of the examples of the use of the gift of, of prophecy, like 1 Corinthians 14, 29, and 30. talks about two or three prophets speak, the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. This guy's just sitting there. A revelation comes, he's just sitting there. It's really amazing. And it captures the essence of the gift of prophecy. But teaching isn't like that at all. There's nothing spontaneous about it. It it, it isn't effortless and it isn't spontaneous. And that's why the apostles had to appoint those who would serve. We read that text. So they would give time to prayer and teaching. It is a gift, but it isn't as easily unwrapped as prophecy. You can see this emphasized 2 Timothy 2.15 Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who, who need not be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.2 What you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, So, to rightly handle the word of truth, Paul says it's work, a worker. This is never said about about any of the other gifts in quite the same way. It takes time to study and learn the word, and it takes a lot of effort to communicate that truth so other people will know. Lastly, the gift of exhortation. That's the one we'll look at in closing. 6a and then 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. The one who exhorts in exhortation. I think Paul listed after teaching for a pretty good reason. People need more than information. They need more than their minds enlightened. They do need that, but they have other needs as well. People need their minds enlightened, and they need their hearts lifted. They, they need encouragement. There's people here tonight. They need encouragement. We'll go into prayer circles. People need encouragement. They need someone to lift their sights. They need exhortation. God wants to use you to exhort others in that sense. You see the beauty of the body of Christ. Members one of another. And so we are linked up that way. Not just to know about our pain, but also the pain of others. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. This is where you get the answer to one of the most commonly asked questions in the body of Christ. Why is there so much? If God is good, why is there so much pain, suffering, angst? So much that goes wrong. And the answer to that question has a great deal to do with the development of of exhorters in the church. I get that from 2 Corinthians 1, to 3-5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. How does he comfort? Might not be the way you think. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. But how do we share in comfort? God doesn't just come and and just sort of take away all our problems and and give us peace. The The way comfort works in the body of Christ, the way comfort works in the body of Christ is is uh god God will allow you to go through things because you 're going to bump into someone who 's going through the same thing, and god doesn 't want to just take away everything that 's discomforting you. He wants to train you to be an exhorter so tonight you 're in a prayer group you 're in a prayer group someone 's going to say, Oh man, please pray for you know my wife or my son or my daughter they i don 't know what 's gone wrong they're but they 're far from jesus and, I've been praying, and it doesn't seem like anything's reaching their heart. And then you say, that happened to me. And I was just about to give up. And let me tell you what God did for me. And this person, who's going to look at you and say, gee, I might not be much, but I'm every bit as spiritual as he or she is. Maybe God will work in my heart. And you're able to be a source of blessing and encouragement. And God uses us to kind of plug into each other in a, in a way that lifts people up. Let's be a gift distribution center. Let's not just have gifts. Goodness me, let's be a church where we use gifts. Prophecy, teaching, serving, Exhortation. Those are the ones we looked at tonight. We'll look at more next week. Let's pray.